be so easy to travel, relatively speaking. But it's not always easy to understand the impact of our travels on the place or places that we're visiting. How does the local community feel about tourism? Who is benefiting from our visit? Well, today we're going to journey to a place that's figured out how to do tourism right. I'm Aislinn Green, Associate Director of Podcasts at Afar, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks a tricky topic in travel every week. This week, you're going to hear from Paige McClanahan, host of the Better Travel Podcast. Now, Paige is a journalist based in the French Alps who spent a good chunk of her career exploring the very issues we're going to dig into today. Issues like over-tourism, sustainability, and more. Last year, she traveled to Kerala, a state in southern India, because she had heard that it had radically transformed its travel industry, and she wanted to know how they did it. Her story is part travelogue, you know, the kind that makes you want to buy a ticket and immediately get on a plane, and part how-to guide for building a better travel world. Easy stuff, right? Let's get to it. Welcome to the inner sanctum of a Hindu temple in Vaikam, a small city in the state of Kerala. I'm here on the southwest coast of India, near the country's southern tip. This temple, which we'll return to later in the episode, is just one of the many sites that attract visitors to Kerala, a region known for its lagoons, sandy beaches, cultural traditions, and a cuisine so rich and fragrant, I feel I can taste it even now. For all of these reasons and more, Kerala, which is known as God's own country, attracts travelers from all over the world. In 2019, 16 million travelers visited the state. That's more than the number of people who visited Denmark or Iceland or even New Zealand in the same year. Kerala isn't a big place. It's about half the size of South Carolina. But it has a population of 34 million. That's roughly the population of California. And tourism here is big business. It accounts for more than 10% of the state's GDP. But until recently... Tourism wasn't working for many of the people who live here. I'm a travel journalist, and I've come to Kerala because I've heard that over the past 15 years or so, the state has radically overhauled its tourism industry. I've reported on problems and damages associated with travel in places like Pompeii, Barcelona, Hawaii, and in my own backyard in the French Alps. But here in Kerala, I've been told, they're getting tourism right they figured out a way to make the industry work for visitors and for residents. So I've flown all the way from my home in France to come and see for myself. I'm cruising down a wide canal in a low-slung boat called a shikara. I'm with my tour guide, Sabu, a 50-something man with short-cropped hair and a thick mustache. Sabu is joined by Suresh, our driver, a soft-spoken man who is quick to smile at me from his perch at the back of the boat. Both men wear polo shirts paired with lungi, cloth wraps that they folded so they hit just above the knee. Together, the three of us are heading toward a neighborhood called Aymanam, where I'm going to have what's called a village life experience, a popular tour for visitors that will take up most of the morning. But for right now, I'm enjoying the view from the boat. The canal is lined with dense, jungly forest that occasionally breaks for a view of a family home or a temple. When we cruise past a cluster of water lilies, Sabu picks one of the flowers and deftly weaves its long stem into a necklace that he places over my head. 
At our first stop, we pull up to a low dock and the three of us climb out of the boat. Sabu leads me down a short path to a single-story family home that's painted a deep shade of pink. This isn't just any house. It's the home of Suresh, our boat driver, who beams as he introduces me to his wife, Ajita, who has stepped out in the yard to greet us. A few healthy-looking chickens are pecking around in the dirt by our feet, looking for a bite to eat. And all around us, the family garden is overflowing with flowering plants, shrubs, and trees that I don't recognize. But Sabu starts to show me around, plucking leaves, crunching them in his fingers, then holding them up to my nose for a sniff. Wow, what is that smell? Yeah, nutmeg plants. Nutmeg plant. Nutmeg, wild ginger, turmeric, lemongrass, tamarind. Sabu shows me all of these and more. And of course, there are palm trees and lots of coconuts. At one point, Suresh passes me a pair of small bananas he has just picked, then plucks a coconut from a nearby tree and starts hacking away at it with his machete. He opens up a hole in the top of the coconut, then passes it to me so I can drink the sweet water inside. Amazing, thank you. We go back to the yard in front of the house where Ajita, Suresh's wife, is sitting on a burlap sack on the ground. In front of her, there's a pile of rough brown fibers, all from coconut husks. Ajita then takes my hands between her own and helps me make some of the rope myself, which appears from between my palms like some sort of magic. I don't speak Malayalam, and Ajita doesn't speak English, so we communicate through smiles and gestures. Sabu sometimes jumps in with a translation, but we seem to understand each other just fine. After showing me the rope making, Ajita leads me inside the house, Grinning, she picks up one of her saris, a cream and burgundy one with sparkles of golden thread, and begins to wind the thick, rich fabric around my waist, then over one of my shoulders. She smiles at me, pleased. It could be a show, of course, but the warmth and delight that I see in their faces as they show me around feels genuine. It feels more like I'm visiting a new neighbor than participating in a tour. And thanks to the government of Kerala, Ajita and Suresh are also earning money by doing this. Later that day, I head to a nearby village called Maravantutu. The village has seen how nearby communities have benefited from this new tourism, and now the residents here want to get in on the game. Kayaking as a travel activity is still in its pilot phase here. I'm actually the very first visitor to try it. Over the course of one hour in the water, Ajmal and I spot long-necked black cormorants, white egrets, slender gray herons, and eagles that screech from their perches in the trees high above us. At the end of the day, as the Shikara boat putters back to my hotel, I ask Sabu what he thinks about tourism. He tells me that it's created jobs in his community, which has made a big impact. Sabu is 56 years old, and he's been earning his living as a tour guide ever since he left the Indian Army more than a decade ago, which means that he was one of the first people to join Kerala's experiments with responsible tourism. These days, Sabu sees young people getting jobs in tourism, and he thinks this is a good thing. It means that they can get a job in the village, and they don't have to move away for work the way they used to. Another benefit, Sabu says, is that it gives young people a reason to learn about and preserve their heritage and traditions. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we'll explore the events that changed Kerala's tourism industry for the better. And we'll meet the man who led the charge. Feeding children is one of the most basic human responsibilities. So why do we so often feel like we're failing at it? I'm Jane Black. And I'm Liz Dunn. We're moms. And we're food journalists. 
and in Pressure Cooker, we tackle some of the thorniest issues around how we feed our kids. How important is family dinner? And why do kids refuse to eat their vegetables? To find out, we're talking to experts and hearing from parents locked in the daily struggle to feed little people with big personalities. Listen to Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts. I come away from my village life experience absolutely fascinated. I want to know more about how and why this type of tourism developed here in Kerala. Fortunately, I have timed my visit with Dr. Harold Goodwin, the founder and director of the International Centre for Responsible Tourism. Dr. Goodwin is also an advisor to the Kerala government, who reached out to him more than a decade ago when it became clear that the tourism industry needed to change. When they held the first international conference on responsible tourism and destinations here in 2008, it was clear that there were two major issues from the point of view of the communities. The first was the fact that they were gaining nothing economically from the tourism. And the second was the rubbish and so on which the tourism was leaving behind. So just 15 years ago, tourism wasn't a win-win situation here in Kerala. In fact, local communities were so upset with some aspects of the industry that they protested in the streets. But here's the thing. The government listened. What they did, which was incredibly smart, was that they decided they'd have an experiment. Four different villages, they'd try four different ways of increasing the benefit to local communities. And as a consequence of that, they learned a great deal about how to do it well. Kamarakoram, where we're recording this, um, was the village that did it best. So that what's happening in Kerala is an exemplary example of how to make tourism benefit local communities in part through the village life experience, and secondly, by creating producer groups. So bringing together groups of small producers of soft furnishings, food, bringing them together in small groups so that they could provide the volume of produce which the hotel needs. Dr Goodwin tells me that the local village councils, called panchayats, have been deeply involved in setting the terms for how travellers experience their communities – This kind of a setup, where communities dictate the terms, is actually a pretty exceptional way of managing so-called community tourism, Dr. Goodwin says. In too many instances, he tells me, rich tourists pay to visit a village, but the residents aren't compensated, let alone consulted on how or even whether they want to open up their communities to visitors. In those cases, community tourism can look a lot like exploitation. But here in Kerala, there's good news to report, Dr. Goodwin tells me. The community-based tourism they pioneered in Kumarakam more than a decade ago is now in practice throughout Kerala and beyond. In 2017, the state government adopted responsible tourism as its official tourism policy. They even set up an entire office to manage that work across the state. Dr. Goodwin tells me that the person who now leads that organization, Rupesh Kumar, actually used to be one of the tourism industry's most aggressive critics— In fact, he was one of the citizens who, more than 15 years ago, protested the negative impacts of tourism in Kerala. Before long, the government hired him to help fix the problems. The history of Kerala Responsible Tourism Movement is actually the history of confrontation to cooperation. That's him right there, Rupesh Kumar, the director of the state of Kerala's Responsible Tourism Mission. Kumar was born and raised in Kumarakam, and he still lives here in the backwaters, now with his wife and teenage daughter. 
Kumar tells me that he has seen a lot of changes to the state's tourism industry over the years. Kumaragam witnessed a lot of confrontation in between tourism industry and local community. Uh, during the year 2007, Kumaragam local self-government, that means local panchayat, passed their resolution. They informed the government that we cannot uh, continue the support for tourism industry. Kumar explains that, at that point, tourism in Kerala seemed to operate in isolation from the local communities. They didn't hire local people, and they didn't purchase their supplies from local producers. As Kumar tells me, not a single vegetable or egg or even a drop of milk was sourced from the farmers of Kerala. Everything was imported from other parts of India. At the same time, rice paddies were being filled in to make more space for tourists. So people were agitated that they became the victims of tourism development. For example, the whole waste created as part of tourism was deposited in the same place. And there were no serious scientific mechanisms for waste management by the industry. So they became the victims. At the same time, the Kumaragam people lost their traditional livelihood activities like agriculture and fisheries. Because... Uh, paddy fields are pulled for the creation of hotels and resorts. Okay, such issues created a very serious conflict between tourism industry and the local community. We never fought against tourists. We have a demand that we need some involvement in tourism. The people spoke out and the local government responded. They held that first conference on responsible tourism in 2008 which led to those first pilot projects for community tourism. They also set up producer groups to link local farmers and craft workers to purchasers in Kerala's tourist restaurants and resorts. And they reached out to Kerala's tour operators and travel agents and convinced 70% of them to actively promote the tours and activities of the responsible tourism movement. Rupesh says that this has really worked. A 2015 survey found broad community support for the tourism industry. Of the more than 2,000 local families who were surveyed, only six reported that tourism had only a negative impact on their household. Now, Rupesh is working to help other governments in India learn from Kerala's experiences. We can replicate this model in India and the world because this is a process with various types of experiments. Some of our experiments failed. That is also a case study. Madhya Pradesh Tourism Board already have signed with us. We have an MOE with them. And they are implementing it their own way very well. And we are supporting them for the cause of mutual benefit, for the cause of transparency in tourism. The more I see of what's working in Kerala, the more I ask myself, can this model of tourism be replicated in other places? The answer, it seems to me, is yes. Governments in South Africa and the Gambia are already exploring similar approaches. The village life experiences, the producer groups, the partnerships with hotels and resorts, travel agents and tour operators. But one thing seems to be underpinning it all, which might not be that easy to replicate. Effective and responsive government. With tourism, just like with any industry or any kind of human activity, really, it's just a matter of time before problems crop up. The important thing, and what happened here in Kerala is that leaders listened to residents' complaints, and then they took action. For my last day, I've signed up for another village life experience. 
This time, I'm heading to Vicom, a small city that takes about half an hour to reach via tuk-tuk. And it's here that I get to visit the Hindu temple, the one we heard from at the top of the episode. The whole complex covers eight acres in the center of the city. It's made up of a massive gravel-covered courtyard, surrounded by high walls on all sides, with the temple building itself and its fat white pillars and orange-tiled roof sitting right in the middle. My guide here is Sundarasan, a short, lean man in his 50s. He meets me at an appointed spot on the side of a busy road, just by the temple's north gate. But we're not ready to walk inside just yet. Sundarasan first leads me to where he has parked his motorbike, and pulls out a heavy cloth wrap from a well under the seat. I'm wearing a dress that falls below my knees with black leggings underneath, but I need a longer wrap to enter the temple, he says. So I use the cloth to make a skirt so long that it grazes the wet road. Then he tells me to take off my shoes, which he stashes inside the seat of his motorbike alongside his own. And then we walk together, barefoot, along the wet, mud-spattered road to the entrance of the temple. Inside, a paved walkway leads across a broad, sand-covered yard and toward the temple itself. Clusters of people are hurrying along in the rain, which is falling heavily. Sundarasan tells me that I'm not allowed to take photos or videos inside, but he says a discreet audio recording is not a problem. So I turn on the recorder and keep it running as we step through the temple's grand entrance hall. We walk past bare-chested men playing drums and a type of long, reeded instrument that I've never seen before. We pass into a sort of inner sanctum, where men and women worshippers cluster in small groups, some near a golden statue of a deity, others next to a towering structure of lamps. Sundarasan leads me to the edge of the square inner courtyard, to a man who dips his finger in a bowl of ash, then leaves an imprint on my forehead. This mark, Sundarasan tells me, will protect me from evil. As we move through the temple, I learn that it's famous for more than its connection to Hindu deities. Back in the 1920s, the temple was the site of a nonviolent protest that lasted for 603 days. That's more than a year and a half. Sundarasan tells me that the protesters were demanding the protection of basic rights regardless of one's caste, because a hundred years ago, many residents here suffered severe discrimination. The lower class were not allowed to enter temple, worship God, or even get educated, or uh, even were not permitted to walk through the public roads of Kerala. So, against this, under the leadership of some uh, spiritual leaders, uh, an agitation, a non-violence agitation, that means Satyagraha. Satyagraha is a mode of agitation based on non-violence. They succeeded in attaining freedom to use this road for all men, irrespective of caste, color, or race. That was the first agitation in Kerala against human discrimination. It strikes me that the people of Kerala are ready to speak out when they see problems and abuses in the tourism industry and otherwise, and they stand their ground. That kind of action can make a real difference, and it can change people's lives for the better. I believe that Kerala can offer an important lesson to tourist destinations around the world, including the French village that I call home. As Sundarasan and I make our way toward the exit, I take a final moment to absorb the sounds and scents of the temple and the lessons of Kerala, a part of the world that I'm sure will stay with me long after I return home. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much, Paige. 
learn more about Kerala's tourism initiatives, including the village life experiences that Paige participated in, visit keralatourism.org. And to hear more from Paige, you can follow her on the Better Travel Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or on her website, pagemcclanahan.com. As usual, we'll link to it all in our show notes. Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. The magazine is at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Drop us a line at afar.com feedback or email us at unpacked at afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it. <laughs>